Well, good evening, everybody. Welcome to Sunday Night Church, 630. It's good now to take some time and open up our Bibles. And let's, uh, for the second time today, let's study the Scriptures and let God's Word kind of feed our hearts. We're in a series called Soul Food. Things you need to know about your Bible. I'm thinking about how we got it, which we've been studying for, oh, about six weeks now. And then how to get the most out of it, how to read it. We're kind of moving into that second part of the series. Tonight, I want to talk to you about preparing the heart for a living encounter or a transforming encounter with God's Word. Preparing your heart, so getting ready in advance, so when you open your Bible, something special happens. The text we're going to look at is 2 Timothy 13 verses, 1 to 13 of chapter 3. Get a Bible, let's study together. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self. So that's the kind of difficulty he's talking about. Not pandemics, they're difficult too, but that's not the kind of difficulty he's talking about here. People will be lovers of self. That's a bigger problem. Lovers of money, that's a bigger problem than COVID. Proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents. Ungrateful, unholy. Look at this list. Heartless, unappeasable. Does that sound like today's world? You just watch the news. You can't make people happy anymore. Unappeasable. Slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit. You get a picture of a big head. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. You, you can't be devoted to both. You choose there. Having the appearance of godliness. So these apparently are church people, we would say today. Having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Avoid such people. Well, that seems extreme, doesn't it? Just avoid people like that. Got people that are just lovers of pleasure, lovers of money. Just avoid people like that. Six. From among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women. Don't, don't get your back up at that. In this culture, at this time, women would have virtually no opportunity for any kind of education, formal training, would be, would be, uh, easily led astray in that particular time. Now he talks about the people that creep into the households, burdened with sins, led astray by various passions. These false teachers, always learning, never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Always learning, never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Eight, just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, we'll look at that later on in the study, So these men oppose the truth. Men corrupted in mind, disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. That's Janus and Jambres. Ten. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, then look what he adds, my persecutions, 
and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra. He could have listed more places. Which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. And then he says, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Every person, everywhere, at all time, who wants to follow Jesus, you're going to be persecuted for it. Do do you tell your family that? Do your kids know that? While evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. What a text. Today we're going to see how we can increase the fruitful effect of God's word in our hearts before we even open its pages. That's what I want to look at. It's what the first part of this text is all about. One of the features distinguishing the the perilous times, the difficult times that are described in verse 1, one of the features of it is listed in verse 7, where, where Paul says that religious people will come to the place where they're always learning and never able to arrive. So learning, but never arriving at a knowledge of the truth. So that, that, that is, what, what they're learning has no uh, effect, no transforming power on their lives. They seem to still love collecting data, religious data, but there's no conclusion that changes the way they live. They love information, but never arrive at solid faith. Okay, that, that's one of the problems that's described. These difficult times, verse 1, one of the characteristics is right there in verse 7. So then Paul goes on and gives instruction to Timothy. Timothy, young pastor, Ephesus, about how to deal with some of the problems in the church. So most of the instruction deals with the danger of false teaching, false teachers. But in the middle of it all, and it's where we're going to start, in the middle of it all, he, he, he tells Timothy some wonderful things about powerful, vibrant godliness and how Timothy can have that. I like that. I like that because it's right in the middle of these horrible lists of, of a corrupt culture, bankrupt religion, uh, uh, unchanged lives. The, the whole scene is a mess, these difficult times. And right in the middle of it, he seems to say to young Timothy, with so much going against him, that he can keep growth happening in his life. Right in the middle of these difficult times. I'm interested in that. So Timothy... You don't have to go down the same path into powerless, empty religion. That's the deal. Paul wants Timothy to stand out as a contrast. That's why he says, verse 10, you, however, look how that starts out, or 14, but as for you, here's what's all happening there, but for you, you don't have to go down that road. Neither the bad environment nor the persecution, nor the difficult task. None of that needs to blunt Timothy's growth and his spiritual life. I think that's beautiful. Paul says there are two ingredients to staying green, to stay shiny in these perilous times. 
He's talking about first the power of a good example and then the power of the scriptures. Here's what I want to do. I want to look at just the first one tonight. The power of a good example. That's point number one. The elevating power of a great example. It's in that 10th verse, 2 Timothy 3.10. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness. Timothy, you're, you're on a good path. You're following these things that you saw in my life. That word followed, that's an important word because it, it means more than just looking uh, or even just learning. The word actually means carefully using a pattern. That's where the word comes from. Like, like people that sew and they have a pattern and they cut around the edges of a pattern. You stay right on the lines. So that, that's what Paul means. Timothy, he kept his eye on Paul. He used Paul's example as a, as a pattern. He traced right around it, carefully measuring, studying, applying. Here are some of the things. The text says that Timothy followed in Paul's example. It says he followed his teaching, verse 10. You, however, have followed my teaching. Don't, don't rush over that because we know that took a lot of work. We know that because Peter said some of the things Paul taught were really hard to understand. So, Timothy... You followed my teaching, Paul says. That, and we know from what Peter says about Paul's teaching that Timothy worked at. He was young. He had a lot to do. He was busy. But he worked at Paul's teaching. He was bright. He took the time to study. And he learned Paul's doctrine, his teaching. Let me, let me just pause. I don't mean this in a condemning way at all. But how much time do you give to learning the truths of the faith. When do you do this outside of church? We know every Mormon gives the first two years to study and missionary work. Wow. How much time do you give to understanding deep things of your faith? What do you read that isn't fiction? How much time do you give per week to doctrinal study? What theological books do you read along with your Bible. Well, Pastor Don, I'm not a pastor. I'm not a missionary. I know. But Paul, Paul tells us the reason this is so important. It's not that people don't like to learn. We all like to learn. The problem is we all get to decide what we're going to give our attention to. I mean, we, we program our own iPods. We stream our own selections. This is convenient, but it can be a huge problem in the body of Christ. And, and Paul says, in fact, that it'll become a bigger and bigger problem in the last days. He says, for example, 2 Timothy 4.3, he says, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. That word endure means there's a, there's a weight to sound teaching that takes time. You, you, sound teaching isn't something you snap up and grasp right away. You endure patience, study, thinking about it. People won't want to do that. Too slow, too long, too hard. 
People will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will just accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. I've got my desires. I've got my interests. Give me that stuff. Don't make me endure learning something I'm not immediately interested in. Paul says, as time goes by, people will increasingly want to have the option of choosing and shaping their experience of faith and church, what they read. They want it all, they want it all formed around their tastes because it's easier that way. It's more pleasurable when I can, when I can satisfy my desires rather than replace my desires. So people will decide for themselves what they want to hear, how they want to hear it, how long they want to hear it. And Paul says increasingly what they're going to move away from, make no mistake about it, it's not that they won't want things, but what they're going to move away from is sound doctrine. They won't want to endure that. Too much work. Paul says they're going to want their ears scratched when they go to church. And church leaders, they'll want, they'll want seats in the chairs and money in the offering plate, so they'll start to give people what they want to get the crowd to come. Our whole society pulls us in the opposite direction of Paul's words to Timothy. The people with... He says, Timothy, you're on the right track, even in these perilous times, because you follow, you follow me. You're watching me, a good example. Our whole society pulls us away from good examples. And the problem with that is the people with the most cultural visibility are often the people with the emptiest message. The most prominent examples usually aren't worth following as examples. So that means it's going to take steady, determined effort to rinse trite examples and images from our minds. Study to show yourself approved unto God. Have you ever considered God's call to homework? Study? Yeah, the creator, the creator, the one who made you, wants your study time. He doesn't just care about who you live with. He cares about what you put into your head. Give God some study time. Do it this week. So, first, Timothy, follow Paul's teaching. B, the text says, Timothy, follow Paul's conduct. It's in that 10th verse. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct. So, the principle here is when the world around you is getting dark, perilous times are coming. When the world is getting dark, find someone who walks in the light of Christ, follow him or her. I'm not just talking about following Jesus. Of course, we all want to follow Jesus. There's a problem though. Jesus isn't here right now, not physically. He does give us guidance and direction from his word, the church, conscience. His spirit speaks to our hearts. That's very precious, but you can't physically see Jesus right now. And that's why Paul told Timothy to follow him. Timothy could see Paul. He could watch him. 
He could remember watching how Paul reacted when he was persecuted in concrete situations. And we know that even Paul was very influenced by the example of, for example, Stephen. When Stephen was being stoned, Paul was moved by watching that event. We need to shadow people who do the right things. Boy, that's getting desperate. And here's why. If, if we don't work at following good examples, we will naturally, by default, look to bad examples. But follow, we will. The difference is only in the effort required. You drift with the crowd after a bad example. You have to seek and cling to a good example. But either way, examples hold great moral sway. That's why this is so important. They affect, they affect your spiritual life, the examples you pick. It's not just the Bible you read. It's the examples you pick. I remember years ago, years ago, Chuck Swindoll wrote a, an excellent little comment on the moral power of the crowd on our lives. And I, I copied it out. Let me just, it's a little bit of a long quote. Just follow this story because it's really important. Swindoll writes, on March 16th, 1968, the U.S. military conducted Task Force Baker in My Lai, South Vietnam. American soldiers killed between five and 600 unarmed women, children, and old men. All of this was under the command of Lieutenant William Cowley. Strangely, this is still the quote, the American public didn't find out about this until the end of March 1969, one whole year later. Though he never fired one shot, Lieutenant Cowley was the only one convicted of war crimes. This, even though over 500 soldiers knew all about the brutality of that incident. In a whole year, not one person admitted or reported anything at all about the incident. Sundal continues, Psychologists later reported on this strange silence. Quote, It's a classic example of the psychic numbing which operates in any group. The group creates its own moral anesthesia. In situations where our moral limits are tested and stretched, the group aids in the capacity to block out and numb one another's accountability. We are greatly encouraged by being in the midst of others doing the same thing instead of crisp thinking, distinctly weighing the rightness or the wrongness of an act. We find it possible, even easy, to pass the moral buck to some other part of the group. That's really important. In this way, not only does the individual forsake his or her conscience, but the conscience of the group as a whole becomes so diluted and fragmented that it is almost non-existent. It's a simple sort of thing. The horrid becomes normal and we lose our sense of guilt altogether. We simply tune it out. 
That's quite a quote. I mean, silliness, but also wickedness multiplies in a group, especially the wrong group, the wrong setting. We're talking about examples now, remember? You, you, you take on the standard of those you follow. We all do it. It's easy to verify. Just sit back on any given day and behold the lunacy that grows on social media and then think of the name. There's a reason we call it social media. And so no wonder in the middle of a corrupt society and a doctrinally skewed church, Paul tells Timothy to stay close to his example. Let me urge you, find a person that will sharpen your standards, not dilute them. Find a person who will stretch you after Christ, not one who will pull you more and more into the thinking of the culture. All right, followed his teaching, followed his example, C. Timothy followed Paul's purpose. I love that. It's in that 10th verse. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life. I'm calling that purpose. This is an important step in the whole process because it kind of explains the previous point. Not only did Timothy know and follow what Paul did, his conduct, his example, but he also knew why Paul did those things. That's his purpose. It's really interesting. I mean, Timothy, here's the thing. Timothy never interpreted Paul's disciplined life as legalistic. That's what a lot of people would do. Lots of people do interpret someone who, who has standards and pursues holiness. A lot of people interpret it as simply legalism. But Timothy, Timothy looked at Paul and what he saw was not legalism. He saw passion, purpose, love for the Lord. That's what he saw in Paul. The reason Paul did the things he did. Timothy could look at Paul's life without any words spoken. He, he said, there, there's a zeal for Jesus. That's what that is. You will never go wrong following an example like that. Never. Timothy could see a difference in Paul. Let me, let me just try and zero in on this a little bit more from the text. The purpose of Paul, the zeal for the Lord, because Timothy saw that Paul was different. Most people, the text says, most people love three things. They're the same three things people love today. They haven't changed. You can read about it in 2 Timothy, the text we're studying. 2 Timothy 3, look at just verses 2, 3, and 4. For people will be, here we go, lovers of self, Three things that people live for. Lovers of self, lovers of money. Then he has a list of, of, of smaller things, but I'm talking about the loves now. Look at the last part of verse four. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Lovers of self, lovers of wealth, lovers of pleasure. Now, there are all sorts of sins listed in that text. I didn't, I didn't take the time to read them. Proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient, ungrateful, unholy. There's lots of sins listed. But there are only three loves fueling those sins. The love of self, the love of money, and the love of pleasure. But when Timothy watched Paul, he didn't see any of those things. He saw Paul was possessed 
by a totally different love, a, a totally different passion, a totally different, here's what we're looking at, purpose. Paul wasn't motivated by any of those three loves. It's really amazing. I mean, Timothy could live, work, travel, minister with Paul in very close quarters for years and actually say, here's a man not motivated by self, wealth, or pleasure. And and he didn't say that because he didn't know Paul very well. He said it because he had observed Paul very closely. How many people do you know like that? I mean, you, you can almost hear Timothy as he thinks about his mentor, Paul, and the purpose that Paul lived for. You, you can hear Timothy say, if we put it in today's English, Timothy would say, you know, he's really quite amazing. He's a man you, you just can't buy. He's not that much interested in wealth except to fund his missionary outreach. He's driven, but it's not for power or position. He just has a holy love for the risen Christ. It steers his whole life and shines in everything he does. So you read this text, and here's, here's the conclusion. Cedarview Community Church is supposed to be full of people like that. That's it. Cedarview Community Church is supposed to be full of people like that. Young people are supposed to be bombarded with examples like that. Kids are supposed to see parents so committed to Christ, they don't live for money, self, or pleasure. That's what they're supposed to see. Mom, Dad, what choices do you intentionally make each week to demonstrate visibly to your children that you aren't motivated at all by self, wealth, and pleasure? Because without your example, how are they going to grow up to find satisfaction in Christ alone? We'll, we'll look at more characteristics of Paul's example to Timothy next week, but there's just so much to treasure and think about right here. Of course, we all want to follow Jesus, but perhaps we need to rethink the fact that there are many people who are following us right now, right now, right here. There are people who are going to live their Christian life just like you do. So there are two responsibilities, I think, if we're going to apply some of this to our hearts. Two responsibilities before each one of us in this passage of Scripture. A, find good examples. You either seek out good examples or you'll be drawn after bad ones automatically. Find a good example. Tune out the silly, the trite, and the ridiculous. Be done with it. Find a good example. Secondly, be a good example of what it means to follow Christ with all your heart. Because there are other Christians watching you, and they're going to live just like you do. Let's pray. What a text. Some just speak to us so powerfully and clearly. Thank you for your word and the light that it brings into our souls. 
claim all the affections of our heart. Make us sick of empty, trite examples. Make us sick of examples that love self and pleasure and wealth. And help us to be a good example as we follow Christ Jesus, our Lord. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen. Don't forget to join us Wednesday, 7 o'clock, for our devotional refresh. Join us now for our prayer time. God bless you, church.